Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to Dirty Sexy History. My name is Jessica Kale, and I want to go ahead and start this week with a huge disclaimer. You may have noticed that this week we're talking about the history of cocaine. However, that's not the only thing we're talking about. This episode takes some unexpected turns, but be assured everything I'm about to tell you is a very bad idea. (laughs) If you need help with addiction, please call the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. And as always, don't try this at home. Having said that, grab a bottle of your favorite carbonated beverage, sit down in a chair, and let's get started. Although the medicinal properties of the coca plant had been well known to the indigenous people of South America for thousands of years, cocaine as we know it was first isolated from the coca plant by German chemists in the 1850s. Having observed its status among indigenous people, scientists wanted to explore its uses in medicine. Among other things, the Incans had used it as a painkiller in early brain surgery. It had to be good, right? Well, no one was prepared for how good. Not only did cocaine turn out to be an effective anesthetic, but it reduced bleeding by constricting blood vessels as well. Doctors loved it, dentists used it for toothaches and routine surgery, and Dr. Carl Kohler, a friend of Sigmund Freud, confirmed its uses in optometry when he applied it to his own eye and repeatedly stabbed it with pins. Freud himself was a champion of the drug, using it to fight his own indigestion and depression for years. He wrote a formal report praising the drug called Uber Cocaine, a 70-page opus we can only assume he completed in a single sitting. While medical professionals were experimenting with it, it hit the market when Van Mariani, a wine fortified with coca leaves developed by French chemist Angelo Mariani back in 1863. French coca wine, as it was soon called, proved to be particularly potent. The alcohol in the wine accomplished what chemists were attempting in Germany and pulled the cocaine from the coca, so each bottle contained about a teaspoon of cocaine. It doesn't sound like much, but it only takes about 20 milligrams to produce a high. Each bottle contained approximately 160 milligrams. Pope Leo XIII was so impressed that he gave Mariani a gold medal and kept a hip flask filled with it for easy access. When cocaine was released to the public as a pharmaceutical, the conditions couldn't have been better. After the American Civil War, of course that was 1861 to 65, and the Franco-Prussian War from 1870 to 71, morphine addiction was terribly common among veterans with chronic pain on both sides of the Atlantic. Like laudanum, another common opiate, morphine was available for purchase without prescription. 
cocaine was likewise available over the counter, and doctors encouraged its use to fight morphine addiction and alcoholism. And why wouldn't they? It was thought to be harmless. In 1877, a doctor in the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal, now known as the New England Journal of Medicine, you might have heard of it, well, he reported, quote, Coca diminishes weariness, strengthens the pulse, calms nervous excitement, and increases mental activity. Careful observations lead me to believe that, so far from being injurious, the moderate consumption of coca is not only wholesome, but frequently beneficial. Thomas Edison and Jules Verne championed it. In fiction, Sherlock Holmes used it to stave off the dull routine of existence. U.S. Surgeon General Dr. William Hammond said it was harmless and particularly useful for athletes and, quote, brain workers, reassuring the public that it was not addictive in the slightest. Cocaine was touted as a miracle substance, added to every remedy for every purpose. It was sold as a powder, it was claimed it eliminated dandruff when applied to the scalp, or treated allergies when inhaled through the nose. Right, allergies. Well, the Hay Fever Association actually named cocaine an official remedy for hay fever. Beauty columns reported that it cured cold sores when applied to the skin. It was sold in candies or syrups to fight fatigue, toothaches, or sore throat. It came in bottles, tablets, wine, powder, cigarettes, salve, and even with syringes for easy injection. Cocaine is even thought to be one of the secret ingredients of Dr. Keeley's legendary gold cure, a concoction administered at his addiction treatment centers throughout the end of the 19th century. But you know that's not it. Of course that's not it. As the latest miracle drug, cocaine was naturally applied to a whole host of women's issues as well, like lead, honey, sap, and even crocodile dung in years gone by, cocaine became the next thing in a long line of weird substances that medical professionals decided to just shove up there and see what happens. Cocaine was a common anesthetic, so it only makes sense that it was used for pain of other kinds as well. Well, what kind of pain? Pain with sex, UTIs, endometriosis, cysts, or really any other kind of unidentified pain in that general area. Cocaine-soaked tampons were inserted, and before you knew it, well, you couldn't feel much of anything anymore. In 1887, British medical journal The Lancet reported that it would assure a painless childbirth and even treat sore nipples. Sure, you could feed your baby more comfortably, but he'll be awake for days. What did they prescribe for that? <laughs> Heroin. I wish I was kidding. Anyway, certain substances are absorbed more quickly through the vagina, and cocaine was in fact a pretty effective painkiller. You know, as long as the woman giving birth didn't pick a fight with a doctor or punch a hole in the wall before it wore off. Because it was so effective, it remained a popular obstetric drug throughout the early 20th century. Meanwhile, in Georgia, In Georgia in 1886, Dr. John Pemberton unwittingly turned cocaine into an enduring global phenomenon of another kind. A biochemist and Confederate Army veteran, he spent the decades following the war experimenting with painkillers and other compounds for commercial consumption. 
Pemberton had survived a saber wound to the chest during the Battle of Columbus in April of 1865, but it pained him for the rest of his life, leading to a morphine addiction that would last until his death in 1888. He had some success with his Pemberton's French wine coca, which was marketed to veterans and highly strung southern women as a recreational beverage with medicinal properties. A wine fortified with coca and cola nut, it was claimed it fought depression, morphine addiction, alcoholism, and anxiety. Pemberton created his non-alcoholic version when Fulton County enacted temperance legislation back in 1886. The wine was replaced with soda water, it was sold at drugstores, and Coca-Cola was born. The active ingredient certainly sped its success. It woke people up, helped them to work longer hours with greater focus, and it made them feel wonderful. <laughs> Pemberton marketed it as a valuable brain tonic, delicious, refreshing, pure joy, exhilarating. That's quite a review. And the public agreed. Coca-Cola survived Pemberton's death using his original recipe until the cocaine was finally removed in 1906. It took several years for the long-term effects of cocaine to become apparent. Freud himself fell out of love with it in the 1890s when he began to observe increasingly negative reactions among his own patients. He eventually gave it up himself when it began to affect his own performance, causing him to nearly kill one of his own patients during a routine surgery. Although cocaine was effective for short-term use for toothaches and dental surgery, its effects on the teeth over time proved to be more than detrimental. It increased tooth decay and erosion, periodontal disease, oral lesions and infections, and eventual loss of taste and smell. By 1891, there were 13 deaths attributed to cocaine, as well as countless reported addictions. Though it worked as a stimulant and painkiller, its other side effects were less appealing. Finally, it was discovered to cause delirium, breathing issues, convulsions, high blood pressure, coma, and cardiac arrest. Cocaine was outlawed in the U.S. with the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914. It experienced a further surge in Germany following World War I and was used in Nazi experiments throughout World War II. It is still legal for medical use or decriminalized in many countries around the world, as well as the state of Oregon. But I'm not done talking about the gynecological side of things here. Although Coca-Cola removed the cocaine back in 1906, one of its unofficial uses held out until the 80s. We can only hope that it died with the shoulder pads. I'm talking, of course, about the Coca-Cola douche. Guys, this is pretty gross, so be warned, okay? So the first I heard of this so-called Coca-Cola douche was in Nelson Algren's 1956 novel, A Walk on the Wild Side, where he explains that it was the preferred contraceptive for sex workers in New Orleans during the Great Depression. Basically, after sex, you'd grab a bottle, shake it up, and then sit on it quick and hope for the best. Now, that's the kind of detail that sticks with you. No pun intended. But is it true? Well, it's possible. As it happens, by the 1950s when Algren was writing, Coca-Cola douches had been used as a contraceptive for almost as long as the fizzy soda had come in those handy glass bottles. 
not officially, obviously, but as a kind of bad advice that got around and, well, people actually took it on board. How did it start? Well, we can only really guess, but as Coke the soda came into its own, while Coke the drug was still used for any and every kind of women's issue, it would make sense that some would try it if they couldn't see a doctor for whatever reason. In any case, cocaine had other uses down there. As early as the 1930s, a medical study reported that a number of women in India used it to improve sex by making it last longer, kind of like those numbing condoms that they still sell today. Although Coca-Cola took the cocaine out of their soda pretty quickly, people continued using the soda as a douche after sex. It's not as out there as it sounds. Throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries, douches of various kinds, that is, vaginal douches like Lysol, not human douches that put you off sex entirely, that's something different, were widely accepted as safe and effective contraceptives. Were they? Absolutely not. In fact, about 50% of people who used Lysol as a contraceptive got pregnant anyway, and that's really the best case scenario if you wash yourself out with a caustic household cleaner. Coca-Cola wasn't much better, but the practice remained common enough that Harvard, actual fucking Harvard, did a study to see if it worked. In 2008, Deborah Anderson, Joe Hill, and Cherie Ampere of Harvard Medical School won the cheekily named Ig Nobel Chemistry Prize from scientific medical journal The Annals of Improbable Research for their research into the effectiveness, or lack thereof, of the Coca-Cola douche. See, Umpire had friends who had used them back in school, and Hill remembered hearing a song, yes, a song, about Coca-Cola douches years before. Now, you've probably figured out that I'm something of a music nerd by now, so of course, of course, I found it. The song, if you're morbidly curious, is called Coca-Cola Douche by The Fugs. That's F-U-G-S, and it's on YouTube. But I'm not going to make you look it up. I'm actually going to post it on our Twitter, at Dirty Sexy History. It's pretty catchy, but it's punctuated by some rather extravagant slurping noises. So if mouth sounds bother you, FYI, yeah? Anyway, Anderson, Hill, and Umpire tested sperm in four kinds of Coca-Cola and found that Coca-Cola is useless as a spermicide. It doesn't really work, it's not fast enough, and douching with Coca-Cola can cause some pretty serious damage. A similar study from Taipei Medical University confirmed this, and they also proved that Pepsi doesn't work either. Jury's out on Dr. Pepper. Guys, that's a joke. Do not, under any circumstances, put soda in your vag. Okay, so that was a long, strange journey. <laughs> this week was brought to you by Cheerwine. Just kidding. All joking aside, I'd like to thank our beautiful patrons on Patreon, Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Bethany Bennett, Andy Christopher, Rachel Cooney, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Emma Young, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, Akko Spoot, and Sylvia Van Eyck. We've got some big episodes coming up, and that's all down to you, so thank you all so very much. 
If you would like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash dirty sexy history, where we're posting extras as often as we can. We've just uploaded the full nearly two hour interview with the amazing Violet Fenn. So if you want to hear us talking about the link between vampires and early goddess religions, we've got that in there, as well as the Victorian fascination with death and relevant to today's show, addiction. So check it out. You can also support us by rating, reviewing, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast, and all of that is very much appreciated. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I will, of course, post the photos for today's show. My sources today include Nelson Algren, A Walk on the Wild Side, 1956, Gemma Angel, So Comfortable You Can't Even Feel It, the Cocaine Tampon, the University College London Researchers in Museums blog. Richard Gardner, The Civil War Origin of Coca-Cola in Columbus, Georgia. Muscogiana, Journal of the Muscogee Genealogical Society, Spring 2012, Volume 23. Jeff Hecht, Coca-Cola Douches Scoop Ig Nobel Prize, New Scientist, October 2, 2008. Eamon de Lestrange, Coca Wine, Angelo Mariani's Miraculous Elixir and the Birth of Modern Advertising. David F. Musto, Why Did Sherlock Holmes Use Cocaine? Pharmacy and History, Volume 31, Number 2, 1989. Norman Ayler, Blitzed, Drugs in the Third Reich. John Phillips, the Value of Cocaine in Obstetrics, The Lancet, November 26, 1887. A Note on the Morphine Hyocene Method of Painless Childbirth, The British Medical Journal, January 6, 1917. Cocaine, The British Medical Journal, Volume 1, Number 6169, 1979. The United States Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse, Drug Use in America, Patterns and Consequences of Drug Use, 1973. Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast by Jessica Kale and Dr. John Jenkins. Today's episode was written, hosted, researched, and all of that by me, Jessica Kale, and it was edited by the ever-patient, ever-helpful Dr. John. You can find out more about us and our books, as well as five years of archives, at DirtySexyHistory.com. See you next week.